Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started avnish is the co-founder and coo at carrot lane and calls himself a product and a business guy in the interview avnish shares his journey to entrepreneurship and the valuable lessons he has learned along the way he shares how his early managers played a key role in his transformation and his story highlights the importance of taking risks having confidence and learning from rejection hi avnish welcome to the choosing leadership podcast hi sumit very happy to be here and thank you for having me it's a pleasure to have you here why don't you start by sharing a bit of who you are and what you have been up to so right now i work at carrot lane for those of you who don't know carrot lane is india's first as well as largest omni channel jewelry company i've been here since the very beginning like from day 0 so it's been a great ride in that sense and the most wonderful opportunity i could have asked for in life so that way i am that's what i'm doing on the professional side and i would say i'm very happy with whatever is going on over here other than that i'm like a typical middle aged person with a family and two children I have done the the regular Indian story in terms of education that you go, you get an MBA and all, and you get a degree which can help you get a good job. And I have done my share of large corporate gigs before I figured out what was right for me. And I think uh, other than that, I would say I read a lot because I love to do that. And a lot of my choices eventually are a combination of what I've read and then seen and tried and. because when you are in a startup i think you have more leeway to try a lot of things which you learn and read about yeah. so that way it's been that's how it's gone in life and i think i've been very fortunate that a lot of i think i've had a lot of serendipity in life yeah yeah can you can you share a bit more about that especially like focusing on your time maybe before you started carrot lane what was that journey how did that unfolded which led you to entrepreneurship So actually, after I did my MBA, then I was a management trainee at a company called Unida, which was, and I was based in Gujarat for a year and a half. 
initially it was such a difficult job you are in a country location i actually quit twice luckily for me i had good managers who convinced me to stay back and that experience was transformational because i really finally got to see the real world and how things happened on the ground if i had quit then i would have gone and taken a some finance job or something like that a typical big company job and i would have never realized that that the as in this path would have not happened actually okay so that was a, in a way that was also serendipitous for me because i would have really gone into a different direction i actually studied finance at college but i didn't get placed in finance it is possible that i could have gone in that path but now i know for sure that i'm totally not cut out for it so it would have been another bad choice all of these things happened which kind of kept nudging you to a path which eventually was more gratifying for me after onida i worked for a bank standard chartered for a bit then i worked for dupont for a bit so that was going on like a typical thing because i come from a very small town i come from ranchi which is now famous because of miners it only but otherwise i don't think any new about it so typically the choice for you in life was to get a good education and get a job in a large corporate or people would write the civil services exam so in my case i got there and whatever was the dream job which you wanted or the dream situation but when you arrived at the summit you realized you totally didn't want it and uh, it was in this period where i was not very happy and i was thinking about what i wanted to do that i ended up again very accidentally meeting mithun uh, and gopal and then it obviously led to carrot lane and me joining and so that's how it happened and it was really as in i think about it no that if i lived my life a hundred times how many times would that happen and possibly it doesn't happen more than 10 so avnish what you shared about onida right that you quit two times but your managers did not allow you to quit is that right yes Yeah, and what did you learn about yourself after not being allowed to quit and being like or sustained in that job? What did you learn about yourself, and also what lesson about leadership do you take from that? First is that I had you live with your parents, then you live in a hostel, right? And then you first time in your life you go out into the real world, right? And the first experience is almost frightening. because it was not a nice in a way if i was in a job at bombay this nice place then it would have been very different because i went to rajkot and suddenly you stay in this hotel and you meet people and it's everything sounds very looks very unfriendly so it obviously i think the first lesson was that almost like the first reactions will sound very frightening but things are not as bad as they are because then i in the same situation i was able to settle down and then obviously then i i would say i did reasonably well over there i think after that i have not been afraid of anything hmm. once you have overcome your fear in that sense because you were you went to the lowest ebb possible in terms of fear and being afraid of something and being uncomfortable and then you managed to overcome it so now you at least your the way your brain and your mind thinks is that okay every time you face a situation which is hard which you can't it looks as if it's very difficult and you can't deal with it but you can still deal with it because you have done it once earlier so i think i think that overcoming the fear that happened for me and i think because it happened once now every time i feel the same thing can happen 
I think as a management lesson, I think they had, they were very empathetic managers, I think. Because typically I'll tell you what happens in a branch is that you get one management training with a fancy education. Everybody else who actually is not contributing anything, right? Everybody else is actually contributing to sales, etc. So the branch manager actually, a lot of times they find the management training a nuisance. And they would have had no problems at so whatsoever. Their whole performance, nothing would have been impacted had I left. But I don't know. They somehow, they thought that this is a young, impressionable person who's just had the shock of his life. And we can make it work for him. And still, I don't know whether they saw that it will be a great lesson for me and it will really benefit me because, you know, there was nothing for them in that. I just think they were great human beings and I just met the right kind of people at the right time with my life. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's it's amazing how, like in something so small, you can have those big lessons and how that can play a huge role in like building up your confidence. I think what you're describing that, if I can go through this, then I'm not scared anymore. or I'm not afraid of doing anything. That's, that's a wonderful lesson. What otherwise could also be seen like a big moment of failure or not living up to your standard. So is that led to like building that confidence or self-belief that led you to entrepreneurship at Caraplane? In a sense, I was not really looking for entrepreneurship. Okay. I still joined as an employee technically as I was okay. the first person, but it was something which was just starting out. It was an idea on paper. And there were two people who were starting it. So in that sense, it was not a typical job because there was a lot of risk involved and you had to go and do something again, which you had no idea about. I didn't even know how hard it was going to be because I had no clue about it. But the fact that I was willing to try it came from the fact that I was, I had more risk appetite in life, more so after the Unida experience. And I had been bored to death in my previous roles. And I had, I was interested in retail because I really thought it was very interesting. My wife worked in a consumer internet company. I used to find that very interesting. So there was a combination of things. There was a pull towards consumer internet and retail. There was the lack of interest in your, or lack of excitement in your current job. And fundamentally, you were not afraid of the uncertainty which you were going to get into. And that kind of is a combination of reasons which gave me the push to go and take this opportunity. And I because, and I say this because I know that we wanted to actually hire four such people like me, okay, with some good experience and pedigree is what they used to tell me. But none of the other people actually signed up because they just saw too much risk. Hmm. So while I didn't go and become an entrepreneur in that sense, because I didn't start this on my own, but even the fact that I was willing to do this came out of a combination of these experiences. Thank you for adding that. And can you share how the journey has been? Like maybe one or two tough choices that you had to make. And I think there is an interesting shift where you actually left and then rejoined. Yes. Uh, but either that or anything else that you think is was a tough choice that you had to make on the process, on the journey. More than tough choices. Again, there was a, there's one whole set of experiences which happened in this. So it was obviously very hard. Even getting customers was hard. Getting employees was hard. There was so much rejection which used to happen. It was not funny. They would go to a bank and say, we need this service from you. They would say, who are you? And they would literally show you the door. You would interview people and people would not want to join. You would wait all day that a customer nobody would come. So I think that in the first period, there was a lot of dealing with rejection which you went through. 
and i think the biggest thing which happened currently because none of us were experts so you really got this very lucky situation that you could experiment and learn everything so in a way the real college i've been to is the college of currently because whatever things i did like when i did marketing or i did product management or i did anything else there was no expert i was also not the expert but because there was nobody else the company was in a way patient enough to let me figure it out on the job and learn through whatever means and pick up that skill or learn that including some of the other managerial or leadership requirements as well so that was very thing and see in terms of the toughness i think because this is a leadership podcast see one of the things which is which most leaders find hard are things like delegation things like radical candor things like making the tough choices on people for example so all of that i was able to learn because it was a situation where you had to learn and you had a chance there was nobody who was going to teach you because there was nobody so you learned through the role and it was a unique situation that you had a lot of leeway to fail mm-hmm. which you might not have in a lot of jobs other than that i think because it was a startup there was always greater pressure in terms of or the odds were always stacked against you the the, the downside of failure was always very high so there the way you made choices or the way you made decisions they're always in i would say as compared to a regular organization in a more chaotic situation so that i think you learn to do that because you were in that situation all the time right you have to make choices sometimes in a big organization you don't have to make too many life altering choices which will change the trajectory of the company which allowed you, either you would have failed or you would have come through it and become much better at decision making and having the courage to take the big bold choices luckily for me and for the organization the story played out favorably and today we think of us yeah we have courage to make choices and decisions could have been a yeah. completely different case yes yeah yeah and these days we talk a lot about emotional intelligence or mental health but back then right when you started at least i don't remember because even i was in bangalore at that time i don't remember ever listening about emotional it was not a, some people yeah. had heard about it. it was not a thing which people would talk about or you know yeah. even this it was a non thing yes yeah so given that context how did you dealt with that initial rejection or that wave of rejection after rejection and how is rejection to you now how have you evolved i think two things helped i think one day experience was very helpful because you were used to tough things and nothing faced you so much i think the other thing which has helped me in that period and otherwise is that i think i call myself delusionally optimistic you always had this belief that tomorrow will be a better day or one day this situation will change or eventually things will turn out to be right and that kept you going and the other thing was that from the beginning you had this view that what is the worst thing which will happen you will get to work in a startup and learn everything and do it for at least 2 years and at least it will change your path because you were in, in one very the typical corporate path now you have taken this path even if this fails from here onwards at least a new whole world of opportunities might open up and that might still be a good thing to do so i had thought of the worst situation and i was at peace with that and because of that you were not worried every day that okay my oh my god what is going to happen because you know ki what is worse is the worst thing also is not too bad yeah 
And coming back to the present moment, how do you handle rejection now? How has that changed over the years? I think somewhere along the way, I think I learned to reflect better. And I think I also learned to not see things in short time windows, but in longer term windows. Okay. Because of the longer term windows, you would not look at every rejection and stress over it or fret over it. You started to see that, okay, in this longer term window, we still made enough progress. So you stopped worrying about the battles and you started thinking of the wars. And because you were winning enough wars, you were happy with that. Right? Yeah. So you didn't worry about every day. You knew, okay, okay, yeah, 20 things will go wrong. But as long as another 20 things are going well, it's okay. So that was one. Because of the reflection, I think, and I think I read and learned a lot of things about the way to think. Today, people call all these things first principle thinking or mental models, etc. And the reflection and journaling. So I was doing it without knowing what, you know, this the way it's become this thing today. And because of that, I was able to I think about things in a better way. Understand what we were not doing well or where was I going wrong or what was out of my control. A lot of positive self-talk actually. Because you were able to really see it objectively and so get this. And you were also, you would make changes in your approach because you would reflect upon it. And if you made progress, then you thought that, okay, somewhere I can make a difference and I can change my situation because I'm able to think about it better and make the right changes. And you know, when you have that going in your life, which means you're always on an upward trend, then you don't worry because, okay, every day things are only getting better and I have the ability to change it which I later realized is something which, which you call a growth mindset. So in a way you realize that you had that and that would sustain you. So then you would not worry about it too much because you knew that I'll figure mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. Can you now share a bit about your future vision? What is it that lies ahead for you after this long journey? See, obviously there is work which is still so exciting, which I love to do, which will keep continuing. I obviously, there are other parts to life, which I also want to do more of. Like one of those things is that I feel this is such a wonderful time to be in this country. And I am deeply attached to the place that I come from. So I want to do something about that. I have lots of interest reading, writing, talking, even doing a podcast or going and teaching. So those are things which I want to do something about. And I have two children who are 13 and 9. So they are entering into very exciting years for themselves. I hope that there is more time with them and with my wife, etc. So I think a little bit of the family and friends part, a little bit of things which excite your soul, not so much professionally. And then obviously work. And I think work will, there is so much happening in Carrot Lane and it leads to many other things. So I think it's a combination of your family and your professional thing. And the other interests which you have. So I think a combination of that is going to keep me busy. See, I'll tell you, I'm very fortunate again in one sense. Because I talk to a lot of people who say that when you have these conversations of when you want to retire. I've always heard people say that I could retire tomorrow. I've made enough money, but I don't know what I will do with my time. I don't have mm-hmm. that problem. So I think mm-hmm. I'm going to be pretty busy till my last day. Can you share maybe one or two of those big dreams that you want to pursue? Like I told you, I I really would like to say teach someday and I want to write more. Okay, so Mm -hmm. those are I have 
I want to get involved with doing some things in Ranchi where I come from. So there are some ideas I've been talking to some people. I obviously need to get a little more free and make more time for it. So it's not going to happen immediately. So it's a, my, the state I come from is far behind most of the other states, right? We'll keep cribbing that problem and problem hai, but nobody does anything about it. So I really feel that like all of us who have been raised there and have done reasonably well, owe it to ourselves and to them so that we go and do something about it. I'm very passionate about sports. I'm not a good player, but I follow and watch a lot of sports. And I feel that people who watch, they only crave about what the government is not doing, what the system is not doing, but we don't do anything about it. And now there are organizations like OGQ and Go Sports that are doing about it. We also need to, as in sports fans, need to do a little about it, right? Try and raise mm-hmm. money, try and contribute. So there's more money available for top class sports persons to use that money for the support which they need so that they can start winning more Olympic medals and world championships. So yeah. that's something I definitely want to do something about it someday. Yes. Yeah. And I love that you are not just talking about problems, but you're talking about that. I want to fix them or I want to do something. No, you are bit, no, You might not be able to fix it, but I don't want to have the regret. You just sit and watch in crib and you don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And given your experience in business, given your experience as a leader, what would you think would be the challenges that lie ahead for you if you were to jump in and let's say do something different for Rachi or for education or like for sports? What would be the next level of challenges for you? The challenge is that the biggest thing is going to be a completely new domain. While you have interest, you know nothing about it. You could want to go and do something in Rachi, but you have to deal with the local administration and politics and all the other it's a new area for you and i think that's going to be the biggest challenge and it will come with its own set of difficult situations and i think that will be one and the other one will be that how would you still keep doing that with all the other stuff which is also going on would you just find it so hard that you would say okay boss not worth my time i think that might be the two biggest challenges you might face in that and what have you identified or developed as some of your biggest trends that you can actually capitalize on if you do something like that? I think I'm, like I said earlier, I'm very optimistic. That is mm. one. And I think I'm good with people at all levels in a way that I can, I think, connect and empathize with people and I can convince people to make change, right? Because I think I have been able to influence a large set of people to change the way they do things. And I think that that experience of both having a little bit of resilience and some know-how on how to drive change, I think those are the two things which will help the most. Yeah, yeah. And is there a dark side to that? So you mentioned it a few times that you're optimistic, right? You're delusionally optimistic. Because sometimes you you take too many risky bets saying that I will figure it out. You also should know when to quit something and you don't mm-hmm. realize that. And too much optimism, may, you know, what happens is that you sometimes don't see the risks which are there because you tend to gloss over everything and you put too much of a positive spin on everything. So that, how do you balance that? I think reflecting helps because then you at least realize what I missed last time. But at least the domains in which I've worked most of my life, the areas, we also feel that it's still okay to have bias for optimism because most of the time you're trying to do something which has not been done earlier or nobody's done it. 
and there is every reason to not do it so in that situation i think having being a little more predisposed towards optimism is good absolutely i think it's an essential skill for any leader because otherwise you will there is no way you can succeed especially if you're trying something new or trying something for the first time because the world will give you enough reasons to be pessimistic and then it's up to you to be able to say that yes we can do it can you share something else which is interesting about you but which most people that you work with do not know i think this they might know but people talk about because we are a consumer business right people talk about consumer centricity and people think that i am very customer centric and i understand consumer but actually i have always been more interested in human beings only fundamentally less consumer behavior but more human behavior and it is that understanding which helps me understand consumers it is i don't know why but i have always been interested in why people do things or why they do what they do mm-hmm. what is the background to that which causes them to do that kind of thing and we're trying to understand that what situations cause them to do what they do and i think this is one real interest which i have to generally try and understand I think most people don't realize this. They see me that I'm curious and I ask questions and I want to understand consumers. But the it's a derived interest which comes from being interested in human beings. Most people also think I'm very good with data mm-hmm. because I actually have a an undergraduate degree in maths and statistics. But I'm actually very poor at doing those things on my own. Meaning I'm terrible with Excel. and i'm terrible at running those models myself i think i'm just good at consuming data and asking questions but people mistake it for me being very good with data myself which i'm not yeah yeah and this specific thing that you mentioned about understanding human beings right or intending to understand human beings how does that play out when you are let's say in a critical business meeting let's say with your co-founders or let's say trying to negotiate a big deal or there is a difficult situation so it's like a heated conversation there's a lot at stake how does that curiosity play a role and maybe how does that help you i think you are always able to ask this question that what does this person really want and whatever you are pushing how will that benefit that person in terms of what that person wants and i think there is a very i think this is the most important question to ask and if you can find an answer then you are able to convince very easily because you are able to marry what that person wants with what you want and figure out that where is the common ground in that because otherwise i think people don't realize what is that person who's like you think about a sales person you can give him all that big yarn about purpose and vision and strategic thinking and long term that guy is not interested in any of that that guy is only interested in the making more incentive yeah so you have to talk that language that everything which i am proposing or everything which you are doing how is it going to help you make more incentive don't tell him about the strategy and you know how it's important for your five year plan he doesn't care and that is true for every conversation which you have because every person has a motives every person has an objectives and it's not obvious you have to understand what does that person really want and you have to work with that whatever i want him to do can i find a common ground between what they want and what i want yeah what is needed for the business yes yeah and you have mentioned about reflection a couple of times 
and the questions that you're asking, even sharing with us is are wonderful questions, which anybody would, if they ask themselves, they would actually be able to answer it or at least get some new insights. But a challenge that I see with many leaders or many higher performers is that they are in that rush or in that like bias for action that they don't, they don't have that space for reflection. So can you share, because you are also a leader, you are also responsible for, for results. You are also leading a team. How do you create that space for reflection for yourself? And how do you help other leaders in the organization to create that space for reflection so that they don't just grind and then burn themselves down? I'll tell you, in our situation, right, where we encourage innovation is very key to us. And one of the things for innovation is to have a little bias for action. Because ideation is no good. It's like toilet paper. Mm -hmm. That ideation has to convert it to action. And you have to prototype and test and experiment and get it going because nobody can get it right once. So you can't. So there you don't need too much reflection at that stage. Keep thinking of the best solution. You just want divergent thinking that you think of lots of ideas and you quickly test it. So their bias for action is needed because the only way you can find out what is going to work is by testing it. No amount of thinking in this world will tell you. So even if you're Steve Jobs, you know, was such a genius. There also the first version is not always successful, right? It needs iterations and then they get to the most successful model. So there a little bias for action is needed because you need to test and try and then only you will understand. In fact, the problem is that I think that too much thinking happens at the beginning. Hmm. Keep thinking of the perfect solution. Having said that, it's obviously always important. We, I think we tend to over obsess over the outcomes and not so much on the inputs. One of the things which you have tried to do in Carrot Lane and for me in life, in for me in general in my life, which means even with my family, is to always talk about the outcome and the input. What are the actions which go into it? And to make sure that both of them get equal weightage because then you make force people to think about what is the action which caused this and to understand that because then you work on the inputs equally importantly, right? And then you force people to do a little thinking and what is that we need to do? Otherwise, you just look at the output and you keep just obsessing about it without understanding what is going into it. So the way you do people's goal setting, the questions which you ask in the reviews, what do you expect people to come up with? If you constantly focus on the input, right? That what makes this happen? What is causing this, right? Why did this not work? I'm, I, it's okay, we failed. I don't care. But tell me what you learned from it. Or it's okay, we failed. But tell me what did work. What is, or even when things are going well. Hmm. What is making this happen? So when you are constantly focused on asking that question, then you are forcing people to think about what is working rather than just be happy. Okay, numbers are happening. Or, or you also don't let people say, okay, we'll try 20 things, something will work and we'll be fine. So that I think is a constant reinforcement and a constant pushing which you do. And I think that automatically makes people you know, think a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that like input versus output. And it's so easy to focus on the output and then be disappointed or frustrated when the output doesn't happen. And it's so critical to actually look at the input, which is actually driving those, those results. And I think another thing which I loved is that continuous reinforcement, because many of these leadership messages, we have to continuously communicate, even over communicate and reinforce, because in, in some way they go against uh, a common grain of like knowledge or or habits that we have picked up over the years. So thank you for adding that bit as well. Like, you know, I read this bit uh, in one of the IDO books called Creative Confidence. 
he said that most places where something like this has been successful, right, where you have been able to build a culture of innovation, mm-hmm. that you have to be ready that it's going to take three, four, five years to change this. That was such a powerful insight for me because you assume that, okay, we are going to start this and in six months should start seeing results. It's not going to happen. And it needs a very different level of commitment to say that we are going to stick to doing this for four years. It might not show any success in year one and you don't have to jump the gun and drop the program, but you have to stay committed. It might act, actually come at a, it might create problems for you, right? Because your board is going to ask you, boss, what is that this you are doing? It's not showing anything on the balance sheet, right? Because the board is interested in that. But it needs such high level of conviction to stay the course for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And since you mentioned about reading and books, and also as we begin to wrap it up, can you suggest one or two books which are your favorites and which would be valuable read for any leader or entrepreneur? I have so many. I can never recommend one book. So one book which really made me reflect on a lot of things which I find very useful, which I could have given to 50 people at least, is a book called Think Again by Adam Grant. I find very useful. Because we spoke about leadership, I think all good biographies of leaders are very useful. And one thing which I have noticed, which most people disagree with when and a lot of people write very negative comments also, is that a lot of people in history who have been great leaders are really misunderstood. Because history is not a very objectively written, right? So, and my favorite example of this is Changiz Khan, actually. And if you, there are enough good books now written about him and there are documentaries and YouTube videos about it. But he was incredible as a leader, both in terms of his military genius as well as his people and culture building genius and his vision in terms of business, etc. But most people don't realize that. So there's a lot which you can learn from history from great leaders as long as you get your hands on good books to read about them. And then there are obviously lots of other very good books on the people part. Like there's this book written by Laszlo Walk about the Google experience, which is very good. Radical Candor is such a good book. So that there is this other book which I read recently called A Brave New World by Adam Tickner, which is very good. So there are lots of books about the people part of business which are really, really good. I think that there is a lot more to learn from these biographies and examples because they talk about a lot of real examples. And it also, more than the examples, it also you get to see how this person was dealing with this. It is also important, right? Because you know that none of this is going to be easy. Your people will push back. Your board will push back. You will also start to question yourself, boss, is this really going to work or I'm just doing it for the heck of it? So I find that very useful. And I think that reading about examples, in fact, because I found it so useful that I've now started to meet more people just for the same reason that can I learn from their experience. And that's also been very useful. Thank you, Avnish, for for sharing that. I specifically love that part about biographies because I myself read a lot of them. And one thing, what you said, history is not objective. And especially reading biographies, if you read multiple biographies of one person, you will see different perspectives, right? So if you read an autobiography, you will see their point of view. But if you read it from somebody else's point of view, then it's quite different. And one thing which I have also learned is, right, even for us as human beings, as we grow as leaders, when we look back at our own life, our history itself is not objective. It's more of a narrative rather than a fact or a series of facts. And that's tremendously insightful, right? Autobiographies, normally we read people after they are like at least retired or even dead. But we can own look at our lives and say history 
this is our history, but this is not factual. This is more of a story line which I have created. Or if you ask somebody else, they will give a different history about my life. So that's very informative or insightful for me. Every time I read an autobiography, I immediately go back and see, okay, where in my life I am like creating a narrative which might not necessarily be be the fact or be the truth. So thank you for adding that part. My pleasure. Yes. And as we end this, anybody who is listening who might want to reach out or keep an eye on what you are up to, what is the best way for them to do? Actually, I think LinkedIn might be the best way because I think that's one social media platform which I use more than the others. So that might be the way to keep track. Perfect. I will make sure that I will include your LinkedIn profile with the show notes. And as we end, I want to thank you once again for everything that you share. Thank you for the journey that you have been on. And I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you so much, Sumit. And it was very nice talking to you. And uh, thank you for, again, having me on this podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Abdish. Thank you. Same as That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.